Well, good afternoon and welcome to Soul City Church. How y'all doing, 1230? Oh, yes, it's my favorite response. Easily the, the best response we've had all day. So 1230, I am glad to be with you. My name is Jarrett Stevens. I'm one of the lead pastors here at Soul City, and I love when we gather together like this. It's such a special time for us. Uh, we're in the middle of a teaching series called The Heist. We're looking at what really keeps us from the relationships that matter most. The Bible says in John 10, 10 that there's a, a thief, an enemy of God, therefore an enemy of you, that comes to steal and kill and destroy, to take the life God created you to live from you. But John 10, 10 goes on to say that Jesus comes so that you can actually have life and have it to the fullest. And that's what we're all about. Anyone here want to live life to the fullest, the way that life uh, is meant to be lived, created by God for you to live? That's what we're all about here, and that's what we're talking about these couple weeks. Uh, I want to know if anyone here knows what uh, this is. Can you see what this is, and can you tell by how I'm holding it what this? Dental, you guys have incredible eyesight, first of all, and probably great teeth. Uh, because you know what this is. This is dental floss, and a very, very good job. I don't know if you know this about dental floss or not. Did you know that dental floss actually uh, is really, if you floss between meals, is one of the simplest and most powerful ways for you to preserve your teeth and gums and to avoid uh, future painful uh, dental work? It's one of the best ways to prevent cavities. Did you know that about dental floss? <laughs> Did you know we're going to be talking about dental floss today in church? I don't know if you knew. <laughs> I bet you didn't come here thinking that. Uh, yeah, it's actually, it's actually uh, true. In fact, you already probably knew this because you've been told this by your dentist every time you see them. In fact, just if you've ever had a dentist tell you that you should probably floss, go ahead and raise your hands. Oh, look, everyone, because uh, that's what they do. And when they ask you that question at the end of your checkup, when they ask you, so are you flossing regularly? This is a great moment to have your integrity tested. <laughs> People who follow Jesus their whole life will just lie their face off, lie their teeth off to the dentist. It's, oh yeah, no, I floss, I floss, I floss, I've flossed, uh, you know, and so you kind of find a way to sort of get around admitting, here's what I want you to do. Because we're in church and because, well, we're talking about flossing, uh, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be actually really honest and I want you to raise your hand if you actually floss every day. Raise your hand if you floss every... That's... It, no, you hold your hands way up. This is your victory lap. Your dentist right now is very proud wherever they are. That is, in, that is incredible. I'm not saying that flossing gets you into heaven, but it gets you close. <laughs> it has to get you close. And so, uh, so you saw, though, that there was a significant drop in percentage for those of us who've heard that we should floss every day and know all the reasons why, and those of us who actually... Uh, do, despite the fact that there's tons of, of work and tons of study and, uh, uh, on data on how significant flossing can change the game up in your mouth, right? We know all about this. And it's really no different than what we're actually going to talk about uh, today. What we're going to look at today is something that all of us know that we should do. In fact, all of us actually can do it. We know we should do it. You hear people like me telling you that you should do it, and yet when it comes down to it, so often we ignore or we resist or we refuse to forgive. The stakes are way higher than flossing when it comes to forgiveness. And all of us know the value that forgiveness can have in our lives, and yet 
so often, so few of us actually practice forgiveness on a regular basis. And what we know to be true and what we're going to see here in the next couple of moments is that practicing forgiveness actually frees you up. It literally frees you up to live that life that we talked about. Just as much as refusing to forgive others in your life can lock you up and keep you from the life that God actually has for you. Now, just like flossing, there's actually a ton of study and data around the benefit of forgiveness. Did you know that? That in fact, uh, there is a, a change in your state, in your emotional state, your spiritual state, your mental state, your physical state, as well as your relational state, when you practice forgiveness regularly. There was a big study done by John Hopkins Johns Hopkins University, and they found that the act of forgiveness, just the simple act of forgiveness, lowers the risk of heart attack, improves cholesterol levels, betters your sleep every night, reduces overall pain in the body, lowers blood pressure, as well as levels of anxiety, depression, and stress. All that simply comes from saying the words, I forgive you. You're forgiven. That is incredible how your body changes when you practice forgiveness regularly. And not surprisingly, they found that the lack of forgiveness in your life has a negative effect on your life. They found that when you refuse to forgive your spiritual and your mental and your emotional or your relational and your physical state actually suffers. Their study found that chronic anger, that's the anger you have from walking around in unforgiveness and the, you know, can you believe what they said and what they did and you talk through your teeth, that kind of anger, you know, you, I, don't judge me for acting that out. You've had that. I've had that in my life. That kind of anger from walking around stewing and steaming like that, do you know that actually puts your body into a fight or flight state? And that kind of imbalance actually changes your heart rate, it changes your blood pressure, and it weakens your immune system, which actually then leads to a risk of depression, heart disease, and diabetes, all from refusing to forgive. So I think the evidence is obvious. Forgive or die. I mean, I really, that's, <laughs> the data is all here. The choice is really yours. Isn't it amazing how the body then responds and reacts to forgiveness or a lack of forgiveness? Your whole life, including your relationships, do as well. We all know, I don't need to get up here and tell you the value of forgiveness. You know that. Just like you know the value of flossing. You know that. So why don't we do it more? Why can it be so hard for us, such a challenge for us? Sometimes it has to do with uh, power dynamics in relationships. When someone hurts you or wounds you, you believe that they've taken the power. They have the power in the relationship. So you try and get the power back by refusing to forgive them. Seems like a logical strategy to me. Sometimes it has to do with a sense of moral authority or superiority because you make it all about, can you believe what they've done and how they've hurt me? And it feels really good to make the person who hurt you feel really bad. Feels really good to make your ex feel really bad. Feels really good to make your spouse feel really bad about what they've done. Feels really good to make your parents feel really bad about what they've done. So we just do this by withholding forgiveness from them. We get to keep a sense of moral authority and power because we're so afraid that if we were to forgive them, then they win. And we let them off the hook. And where would we be if that were to happen? Do you see how, how we can, without even realizing, come up with all kinds of reasons and rationalizations 
for resisting and refusing to forgive. I actually think it's something else. I think it's more than that. I think the reason that it's so hard or we so often fail to or forget to forgive is because we forget who forgiveness is for. Maybe, you, maybe you've forgotten who forgiveness is for because what I do, maybe you do this too, I make it all about them. Can you believe what they've done? Can you believe what they said? Can you believe they were talking about me behind my back? They, 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 them, them, them. And we miss us. What actually can happen to you? What actually can happen to me when we choose to forgive? So the question for you and for me is, who is forgiveness for? Who is it really actually for? Who's the one that's really locked up when you refuse to forgive? Is it them and all that they've done? Or could it be you? And could there be more to what God actually wants to do for you and through you when you choose to actually practice forgiveness on a regular basis, a daily basis? I love the way that uh, author Lou Smead, one of my favorite writers around the subject, Lou Smead says this. Here's how he answers the question of who is forgiveness for. He says this. He says, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. To forgive is to set a prisoner free, but then you find out, oh, it was me. I was the prisoner. I was the one that was actually locked up in unforgiveness. So how do we go about forgiving? And I think what's more important is, why do we forgive? Why is it so important? Why is it so important to God that we forgive each other? So to do that, I want us to actually look at a passage in the Bible where Jesus talks about just that. It's found in Matthew chapter 18. So if you have a Bible with you, I want you to Turn to Matthew chapter 18. If you have it on your phone, fantastic. That's awesome. Uh, if not, do you see the gray Bible right there in front of you? You can go ahead and grab a gray Bible and turn to page 688. That'll fast track you right to Matthew 18. You might want to grab a pen, a couple insights uh, from this teaching that I think would be helpful and transformative for your life. Uh, Matthew 18, page 688 in the gray Bible. We're going to uh, look at a conversation that Jesus has with one of his followers. Let me give you context to where we're at when we come to this conversation this is towards the end of Jesus's public ministry, which were the last three years of his life. So what that really means is this is right towards the end of his life here on earth. As best we can tell, this is probably at most a couple weeks before Jesus faced the cross, but as soon as early as a couple days before Jesus would face the cross. These are some of the final moments he has with his followers and his friends. And what's so amazing is after three years, the better part of three years with Jesus... They still don't get it. And this should be very encouraging to you and very encouraging to me because they're more dense than you and me and they made it into the Bible. And so they asked, Peter asked Jesus a question about forgiveness, how we forgive and why we forgive and what it has to say about us and what it ultimately has to say about God. Matthew 18, verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and he asked a, a question. He said, Lord, how many times... Should I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? How, do you see what he's already, how he's framing the question? How many times do I have to do this? Like, what's the limit? And in fact, you see at the start of the next sentence, what are the first two words of that next sentence? He says, up to seven times? How many times? I mean, Jesus, look, like, let's just put a number on it. I mean, let's just brass tacks. How many times do I really have to do this? 
And when he gives that number up to, you can clearly see this is a quantitative thing for him, not a qualitative, it's a quantitative thing. Not how deep should I forgive someone from my heart? How compassionate should I be towards someone else? It's like, how many times I gotta go through this? And then what he does is he does what religious people do all the time. He kind of gives an answer in the question to kind of let you know what he knows about God and the Bible. And the reason he uses the number seven there is because that number actually has incredible spiritual significance all throughout the Bible. The number seven in the Bible actually represents spiritual completion. And when you see it appear in the Bible, that's what it's representing when it's intentionally used as such. It's it's to show spiritual completion. Think about it. God created the earth, and on the seventh day, he rested. There's a spiritual completion. And so Peter's going, I think I already know the answer to the question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Uh, How many times? Seven times? That's right, Jesus. You like that, right? You like the number seven? Right? And so he's going to ask him the question, little does he know what he is actually in for. And so Jesus gives him this answer in verse 22. Jesus said, I tell you, listen up, Peter, not seven times, but 77 times. Or maybe your Bible says 70 times seven times. He says, oh, I see your, your little holy answer there, your little religious answer. Let me take it to the next level for you. There is no limit to how often you should forgive. There is no exception to the rule when it comes to forgiveness. Jesus kind of just takes it to the next level. He says 77 times, 70 times seven times. Peter, that's not the point of forgiveness is to check it off of the list or to kind of get to the end and go, well, I think my work here is done. It's to say that that, this flows out of the person who's in relationship with God is ongoing forgiveness. And then Jesus, out of nowhere, just begins telling a story. He does this a lot, actually. And so he just starts telling a story. Peter asks this kind of spiritual question to have a spiritual conversation. Jesus just starts telling a story. And this is what he says, verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, as he began to kind of, you know, go through the books with each of his servants, a man who owed him how much? A man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Now, 10,000 bags of gold, as best we can understand from that day and what a bag of gold would have represented, this is over a couple million dollars in our currency. It was an extremely absurd number, a very, very high number, a couple million dollars. I don't know how he got into that much debt with the king. I don't think I want to know, but he owes him a lot of Money And so he's brought in to settle accounts with him. Since he was not able to pay, which is we're going to see here is kind of the point of the story. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife, (laughs) this is crazy, and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Just sell it all. Sell the house, sell the car, sell the wife, sell the kids, sell the dogs, sell everything to kind of earn back some of what I lost. Clearly they hadn't Uh, created late fees at this point in uh, in the Bible. And so he just says, sell it all. Again, Jesus is painting in some broad strokes with some pretty extreme colors here, but it's to teach us a transformational truth. All right, so then he goes on. This is what begins to happen in the story. Verse 26, at this, hearing this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything which he couldn't ever possibly do. But the servant's master took pity on him, had compassion for him, saw him in that vulnerable moment and canceled the debt. And in that moment, not only wiped out the debt, but said, you're free to go. 
Debt's canceled. You're free to go. This is a powerful moment. Think about it. You've had friends that still owe you from their half of the meal that you covered a couple weeks ago, and if you're holding it out over them, or you've had a roommate that still owes you for last month's rent, and you're really frustrated with them. My hunch is they didn't owe you a couple million dollars. But this master says, couple million dollars, it's done. It's settled. In fact, go and be free. This is an incredible thing because he falls to his knees and he begs for mercy. The debt is canceled. I thought next time, like, you're on the phone with your credit card company, try it. Just see what happens. I mean, it worked in the Bible, so just try it and see. I don't know if it can hurt. And so at this point in the story, Peter is probably figuring out, like you figured out, that, again, Jesus is painting in broad strokes, but each of these characters represents someone. That the benevolent master who forgives the debt, that's really about God. And that the servant who had racked up the great debt that he couldn't pay, who do you think that is? Us, right? So Peter probably figured that out at this point. He's probably liking this story at this point. Jesus, this is a great story. Debts are canceled in God. I love that. We're forgiven. We're made free. Yeah, this is a great story. It's just not the end of the story. Verse 28, but when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants, a coworker, who owed him how much? Who owed him a hundred silver coins. So we go from millions and millions of dollars to a couple hundred bucks maybe. And he finds this guy who owed him a little money. Again, he's just around the corner from the king's palace. He's just down the hall. And he has this moment with him. He grabbed this servant, this friend, and he began to choke him. I mean, he starts like going full bully mode on the guy. He's choking him. And he says to him, pay back what you owe me, he demanded. Verse 29. Now look at this. Jesus, master storyteller. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, look at the words, be patient with me and I will pay it back. Does that sound familiar? I mean, it's like the echo from him saying that is still in the hallway. And here's another guy now that he's kind of got by the throat. He's threatening his life. And this servant says, same thing he said, be patient with me and I will repay it. I'll pay it back. But it says, he refused. And instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Now, again, Jesus is teaching us a deeper truth, but he's using broad strokes to get there, right? So some of the specifics, you have to kind of just understand that's a part of the bigger story. Because if I were hearing Jesus teach this story in that day, and he talked about how the guy threw him in jail till he could pay back the debt, I'd be like, oh, Jesus, how do, how's he going to pay the debt back if he's in jail? That's not the... Don't get stuck there. That's not the point, is that you, you know, that's not a good strategy for getting money from someone is putting them in jail. Not a good strategy, right? So that's not the point of the story. Broad strokes, we'll allow it. And so he's, that's his plan. That's what he's gonna do until this guy pays him back. Let's look at verse 31. When the other servants, coworkers, saw what had happened, they were outraged. Now, again, they must have been shocked when they saw that their friend had his debt forgiven, but then right after that, he goes and does this. They're outraged at this injustice. And they went and told their master everything that had happened. And now the story changes yet again. Verse 32, then the master called the servant in and said, you wicked servant, you morally bankrupt servant, he said. I canceled all that debt you of yours, all that you owed me because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant? Just like, remember when I just did that for you earlier today? Shouldn't you have actually done the same? Now look at this, verse 34. 
In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers, not just to be in jail, but to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. Again, not the best strategy. But then Jesus gets to the moral of this very uncomfortable story. And it comes in verse 35. And he breaks from story mode and he looks Peter and those around him in the eyes and says, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Mike, <laughs> drop. I mean, that's it. That's a rough way to end that story. And I'll bet if you're Peter, you really regret that you asked that question. This did not go the way he thought it was going to go. So what is Jesus getting at here with this story, this very uncomfortable ending? Well, he, again, he's not saying that God is a vindictive God, and if you don't do it right, he's going to get you, and he's going to strike you down. He's painting, again, in broad strokes, kind of using some extreme language to teach a transformational truth of how much forgiveness matters to God, of how essential and central forgiveness is to our relationship with God, how it's at the root of our relationship with God, that in God through Jesus, we actually have access to unlimited forgiveness, that we have access to unlimited unconditional forgiveness, that that's actually all available. God has made that available to you. Here, Jesus was talking about it. Days, weeks later, he would be demonstrating it by giving his life for us on the cross to, get this, cover a debt that we couldn't pay on our own. Forgiveness is a big, big deal to God. And the forgiveness that God offers through Jesus is not only unending, it is unconditional. There is nothing you can, now listen to this. There is nothing you can do to outdo or undo God's forgiveness of you. Do you know that? There's nothing you can do, nothing you've done in your past that can get past, outrun, outdo, or undo, undermine God's forgiveness of you. There isn't. I know you have thoughts in your head that, yeah, but you don't know my whole story. You don't know what I've done. You're right. I don't know all the details, but I do know this. There's nothing you can do that can outdo or undo God's unconditional forgiveness of you. There are no exceptions. You are not the exception to God's forgiveness. Not anyone here, anyone listening. There are no exceptions. But that doesn't mean that there isn't an expectation. There's an expectation implied from this story, and as we see in other passages throughout the Bible, that you would do for others what God has done for you. That if you're willing to receive God's forgiveness, then you're willing to be a conduit of that forgiveness to others. You're willing to offer it to others. Again, no exceptions. No one gets a pass on your forgiveness. And I, I, this is challenging stuff, but what Jesus is teaching us, what he's saying here, what we see written throughout the Bible is that there are no exceptions, that in Jesus, listen, when I say yes to Jesus and enter into relationship with Jesus, in Jesus, I refuse the right to refuse to forgive. 
I refuse the right. I lay down that right. I, re- I lay down that right. I say, you know what? I'd love to hold this card and say, uh-uh, nope, I refuse to forgive you. But when I say yes to Jesus, because he's not held anything back from me, I refuse the right to refuse to forgive anyone in my life. I don't get to play that game anymore. I end that racket in my life because of what he's done for me. In fact, I, man, I'm telling you what, I wrote that earlier this week and I said to myself out loud, I said, that's good. <laughs> like normally like Jeannie will say that for me, you know, just to help me feel okay about myself up here. I had to say it to myself in front of my laptop this week. So I want you guys to actually say it to each other. Turn to the person next to you and look them in the eyes. All you have to do is repeat after me. So turn to the person next to you, look them in the eyes and say, in Jesus, in Jesus. I refuse the right to refuse to forgive. That's what it is. I refuse the right to refuse to forgive. Listen, I don't get to dictate the terms. I don't get to dictate the terms of how forgiveness works. God already established it. Unlimited, unending, unconditional. No exceptions to the rule. I don't get to add addendums to it. Yeah, but God, did you know this about them? I don't get to add anything to it. This is how God established it. In relationship with me, this is what I get to practice in relationship with others. If God has said yes to me, who am I to say no to you? That you don't deserve what God, but I do. Well, I do. God is a God of mercy and justice. And so here's what I want. I want God's mercy for me and his justice for you. I don't get to deter, I don't get to say that's how it works in relationship with God. No matter who it is that has hurt me, no matter how much it is that they've hurt me. I don't get to say no to you because God has said yes to me. He said yes to you. That's how this whole forgiveness thing works. And this is where the principle and the practical get really personal. This is where, I bet you walked in here, I bet today, agreeing to the principle of forgiveness. I believe forgiveness is a good thing. I can, you know, mentally ascend to that idea. I believe in the principle of forgiveness. Awesome. I think we all do. But where it gets practical is you actually applying it in your life. That's where it then gets personal because you have to choose. Are you really willing to forgive him? Are you really, like, really willing to forgive her? Are you really willing to forgive yourself? That's where the practical and the principle gets, it all gets very, very personal, because I know there's every one of us in here. I know all of us have someone or something in our life where we just say, yeah, but not, not that. Like, you don't know what they did. You don't know what they've done. And we've got a list of people or moments, maybe even including ourselves from our life, where we go, that's unforgivable. I'm sorry, but it just is. And I get it. I know, I know this because of conversations I've had with Lots of you here in this church as we've met together or, or emails that we've received, people walking through, like just recently, someone's walking through a really painful divorce in our church and the thought of forgiving the person who's brought all this hurt and pain into their family, it's not even on their radar. Listen, I, I know that there are uh, exceptions that we have to the rule because I know what mine are. Well, more specifically, I know who mine are. I think I can't forgive them for that. I can't forgive myself for that. And there's actually an old... Uh, ancient Hebrew word that really encompasses this resistance, if not refusal, to forgive. The exceptions that we like to make, it, it kind of embodies this. You won't find this uh, old Hebrew word in the Bible, but it's, uh, the word is yabot, and uh, it's Y-A-B-U-T. Everyone say yabot. Yeah, that's exactly what we say when it comes to forgiveness. We go, yeah, but, like, you don't, 
<laughs> that, Joel, that was good. You saw that was good, wasn't it? That was, that was pretty good. It was pretty good. It was pretty good. It was pretty good. I made up the whole part about the Hebrew thing. I just thought that would, it's, yeah, why not? Let's have some fun, right? Let's, let's have some fun. All right. No, there's no word that says that. I just thought that would be really fun. That's, that's, what, that's what we're so good at saying. We say that word all the time. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, you don't understand. Yeah, but you don't know what they did. Think, I mean, just think about it. I know you have those places, those people, those moments, your past, your story, yourself, your own life. I know you have them. You say, like, yeah, 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 but you don't know what my husband did. You don't know how they broke trust. I can never forgive him for what he did. You don't know the damage he caused to our family. Yeah, but you don't, you, don't, you don't know. Yeah, but you don't know. Yeah, but you don't know what my business partner did. They nearly ruined me financially. It's taken me years to just get back to even. Yeah, but you don't know what they did. Almost destroyed our business. Yeah, but you don't know what my mom did. You don't know the culture she created in our family and how I've spent years trying to unpack that in counseling. Yeah, but you don't, you don't get what she did and how long she did and how ingrained that is to my story. Yeah, but you don't, listen, listen to this one, listen, listen. Yeah, but you don't know what that church did to me. You don't know how that pastor hurt me. You don't know how they rejected me and how it felt to walk in every Sunday and wonder if I was really wanted. Yeah, but you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've thought. You don't know what I've said. I, I, I love and I can agree to the idea of forgiveness, but not for that. And you know what? You're right. You are right. I don't, I don't know. There's no way I could possibly know the damage that's been done, the wounds that you've walked around with, the way that you have been locked up in unforgiveness, if I were to give you the microphone, you could come up on this stage right now and you could tell us a story that would have every single one of us in tears. And we would all sit here saying, yeah, but they, I mean, they have a point. And we could go on and on. Every single one of us has our exceptions to the rule. I get it. I understand. But what we find in Jesus, what we see demonstrated by Jesus, not only taught by Jesus, but demonstrated at the cross is that there are no exceptions. There are no exceptions to who he forgives. There are no exceptions then to who it is that we forgive. No limits, not once, not seven times. It is unlimited, unending forgiveness from the heart of God, from your heart to others. Can you imagine what it would look like? Can you imagine a day in the life of you being that free that you could finally forgive them. That you could finally unlock the prison door that you built all on your own, unlock that and walk out a free person by forgiving them. Can you imagine what that would even feel like, what it would look like to be free from this? And as I was looking for a picture to try and paint and illustrate what that really looks like, I was reminded of the story of Felicia Sanders. You may or may not know who Felicia is. She's a beautiful, wonderful woman. And uh, she actually is from uh, Charleston, South Carolina. And a couple years ago, she was at a Bible study at her church, Emmanuel Methodist Church. And uh, she was there with friends and family 
Her son actually was there that night. Her son Twanza and her aunt Susie were there. And then friends that she'd grown up with were all there, a part of this Bible study. And it's a beautiful, historically black church. But that night, the, uh, this 20-something walked in. This white guy walked in. And in our current cultural climate where it just feels like we're getting worse, not better, when it comes to race, when we see the evil of racism continuing to plague our culture. And again, every week it feels like are we, we are losing ground, right? So you'd think in a moment like this, it'd be easy for them to kind of say, no, you're not welcome here. But that's not what they did. They opened up their arms and they opened up the circle and they opened up their hearts. And they said to a stranger, come on in, we're studying the Bible. You're welcome to join us here. We're just doing a Bible study. We do this every week. So he came in and he sat down and after some time, being there and going through this study together. Uh, this young man by the name of Dylan Roof uh, reached into his bag and began pulling out weapons and began cold-heartedly, randomly killing people because of the color of their skin and because of an evil, demonic belief of white supremacy. He thought that that was what he had to do. And he ended the lives of nine people in that church that night, took their lives from them. A church that had actually welcomed him in, that had opened up the circle to him. That night, Felicia's son, Twanza, her aunt Susie, her friends, nine people that night were murdered. Nine people. And the church not only suffered significant damage, but the souls of those there, of that community, and I would argue our nation has suffered because of that moment and what Dylan Roof chose to do. And so as I was praying for this time, I was remembering Felicia and that earlier this year, she actually had an opportunity to confront Dylan Roof at his hearing. This is two years after the shooting at Emmanuel Methodist Church. And a dozen or so people from the church and from the community came that day to confront their brother, their mother, their sister, their spouse's killer. And he wouldn't make eye contact with any of them, but Felicia walked right up to him. And she brought her Bible with her that day. The Bible that she actually had with her that night of the shooting. And her Bible actually is uh, riddled with bullet holes. And pages are torn and charred. And it's, it's literally soaked in blood. The blood of her son, her aunt, her friends. And she still has it. And she stood there in front of him. What would you say in that moment? You think she gets a yeah, but in that moment, yeah, but I mean, she gets a pass. There's, that's gotta, there's, there's no way God would ask her to forgive him for what he had done. This is what she said. She said, I brought my Bible to the courtroom today, Dylan. All shot up. And it reminds me of the blood Jesus shed for me. For me is what she said. And for you, Dylan Roof. And then she went on to tell him in that moment that somehow 
only by God's grace, she had actually already forgiven him. And some reporters thought, how, wait, you already forgave him? How is that even, this is the first time you're seeing him in two years, how did you already forgive him? And so they asked her afterwards, what did you mean by that, that you already forgave him? And this is what she said. She said, oh, forgiveness, that was the easy part. It's living with this new reality. That's the hard part. But forgiveness was the easy. Who says that? In the face of their son's killer, who says forgiveness is the easy part? I would argue only someone who gets what God has done for them. Only someone who gets what the sacrifice of Jesus, the blood of Jesus has done to cover their sins, to make, to wipe the debt clean so they they could be right with God. That they have in fact already been forgiven so that they could forgive, so that they could say forgiveness, that's the easy part. And I think about all the times that I've been hurt and all the people that have wronged me and how hard I've made forgiveness. I couldn't possibly do that. I don't want to give up the power, give up the moral authority. I don't want to do any of that. You know, I want to justify why it's okay for me to stay imprisoned in this unforgiveness. And in fact, I want to get God on my side. So you give me long enough, I'm going to find a verse to justify why I don't have to forgive this person and why that's an exception and why God needs to back this decision of mine not to forgive them. And ultimately, all I'm doing is exhausting energy behind bars, locked up, not free, because I refuse to forgive. And I wonder what it would look like for you today to have the courage to say, I forgive them. God, I finally forgive them. And it may be big things from your past, huge things that have been a part of your story for a long time. It may be small things like things that happened today on your way to church. And you already kind of find yourself stewing a little bit, angry a little bit. Well, they didn't, they didn't respond to my email in 24 hours. You're getting all kind of worked <laughs> up about it. Do you know that you have the power given to you by God right now in this moment to say, you know what, I forgive them. And I, I can say I free them from this, but really all you're saying is I free myself from this. This has been made available to me through God. I wonder who that is for you. And I wonder what it would look like for you today, what it would happen if you actually finally got free. So I want to lead us through a prayer of forgiveness, of offering forgiveness to others by name, to yourself. And just a disclaimer before we go through this time of prayer, I want to be really clear. This is the first step in healing. There are many more. Just because you forgive someone doesn't make, well, I guess my work here is done. Back to new. That's not how it works. Those of you who've been in counseling or therapy would say, yeah, there's a journey. There's a road. Transformation is a process over time that God does. But healing does not begin without forgiveness. You cannot actually truly be healed and whole until you let go of that grudge, that anger, that bitterness, and you say, I forgive you. Whether you ever get to say it to their face, whether you ever see them again, whether or not they're even alive, you've still been locked up. They've been gone for years. You're still locked up. And so today to say, I forgive them. I forgive that group of people 
for what they did. I forgive this person. I forgive myself. So we're going to do a prayer of forgiveness, offering forgiveness. That's what I want to ask you to do is to take a posture of of prayer that we take around here. And it's, uh, you know how we pray like this? We're actually going to pray with clenched fists today. I don't, you know, when you pray like this, people do this. This isn't even in the Bible, so we're not even going to mess with the folding the hands thing. I actually want us to, to do clenched fists because this is what life can feel like right now. Tight. And I want you to do it like, like you know, like start cutting the circulation off, like that, that tight. And I want, while you're feeling that right now, that's what it feels like, doesn't it? And I love the quote from Richard Rohr, what he says. He says this. He says, without forgiveness, listen, without forgiveness, nothing new happens. We stay stuck here and we remain frozen in a small past. Yeah, but them, yeah, but they, they, you know, don't you know what they did? Tight, locked up, imprisoned. Nothing new happens. Just keep repeating the same patterns, habits, and cycles. Keep getting the same unhealthy relationships, same dead end. Nothing new happens until you're willing to offer forgiveness. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and I want you to get real specific, like by name kind of specific. And I want you to bring to mind that person, their name, and I want you to bring to mind specifically what it is that they've done. And again, if it's you, say, it's me, and this is what I did, and I I cannot forgive myself. And I want you to think about that and hold that with clenched fists right now. And if you really believe there are no exceptions to the rule, that in Jesus I refuse the right to refuse to forgive anyone, including myself, any longer. Then I'm gonna ask you to slowly start letting go of your fist and you can repeat this prayer in your own words. You can just say it in your own words. Repeat this prayer after me. Jesus, I choose to forgive. Just like you chose to forgive me. I don't wanna carry this around anymore. I don't wanna stay in prison to this anymore. I want to be made new. I want to be made free. Forgive me for not forgiving them. Help the healing to begin. And make me into who you created me to be. Fully alive, fully free. And Jesus, that is our prayer. It's only made possible because of who you are and what you've done. You not only taught us about how important forgiveness is to God, you demonstrated it by giving your life for us to cover our sins. And so God, because you've said yes to us, how dare we say no to anyone else? And God, as hard as it may be in the tears that may come right now, the emotions that may overwhelm us right now, God, the fear that even may be washing over, I pray that your perfect love would speak into that right now, would cover that and remind us that you are here and the new way is a, it may seem like a scary way, but it's freedom in you. God, we don't want to be bound by the chains of slavery any longer that hold us to unforgiveness, that keep us to staying stuck in a small past. We want to see you do a new work in our hearts. And so, God, if it means we forgive them, then God help us to do so. And if it means we finally have to forgive ourselves, then God help us to do so. Because at the cross, we see what you've done for us and we're humbled by it. And I pray inspired and motivated and ultimately transformed by it so that we can do for others what you've done for us. It's in your name that we pray and we sing and we seek to forgive.
Amen.